Father God, uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, keeping us safe. And Lord, uh, thank you so much also for the blessings that you have given to us. And Father God, thank you so much for everything that you have done in our lives. Father God, uh, for this time we are going to study your word. And Lord, uh, give us uh, wisdom and understanding, O oh Lord God, that we can uh, we can really uh, know what you are trying to tell us. And Father God, that we can also uh, live in, in a way that you want us to do. Father God, thank you so much. And all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. So tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapters 2, uh, verses 26 to 29. And this is the end of John's first argument, uh, where he's talked about us deceiving ourselves, and he's also talked about others deceiving us. So now he's going to be concluding all that and showing us how we can stay away from deception. Um, and of course, the answer to that is when we are abiding in Christ, we have the means to get away from, from those deceptions. So our first verse tonight. One second. Okay, our first verse tonight is verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So in verse 26, he's giving us a purpose statement for the last section of scriptures. So that's going to be verses 18 through 25. He's written those verses in order to tell us uh, this warning about people who will come in and try to deceive uh, believers. <clears throat> So let's read those verses and remind ourselves of what we learned from those verses. So in 1 John 2, 18 to 21, we read, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are, all, they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So what did we learn from those verses? We have this summary from our, from our teaching two weeks ago. We learned that there is an antichrist who is coming at the end of this age, the church age, but his predecessors are already here preaching the false gospel that is going to lead to the antichrist rising after the church has departed from, from the earth. So although the church won't experience the final antichrist, the man who puts himself in the temple of God and says that he is God, we will see the preparations for that false gospel that will come at the end of the age. And those are the false doctrines we are hearing today uh, that in any way doubt the personhood and the godhood of Jesus Christ and that he is enough to save us. Uh, so this antichrist is going to exalt himself using these false doctrines uh, because if, if Jesus Christ has paid it all, 
if Jesus Christ is God, if he is the Christ of God, then there is no room for the Antichrist. So the Antichrist has to make room for himself in the hearts of man. Um, and he does that by teaching false doctrines. Uh, these false teachers who prepare the way for the Antichrist are going to claim authority and orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means that it's the original teaching, that it's the standard teaching. It's not uh, heterodoxy, or another word could be uh, heresy. They're going to claim that what they're teaching is not heretical, heresies. But because they've left the original message, and the original message came from the Holy Spirit, we can tell that they are not from God because they don't keep the original Holy Spirit message. The Holy Spirit doesn't change his message. He might add to it, uh, but it will never contradict what he has already revealed. So that is one way that we know uh, that false teaching is false if it in any way contradicts. Yes, thank you, Janet. Heresy means false teaching. Okay, so uh, we don't have to be fooled by these teachings, though, because we have what's called the anointing from the Holy Spirit. And this is one of our positional truths. Now, a positional truth means that it's true of all believers, and it's not experienced. It means it's essentially a legal truth about us, that these truths are accounted to us on our behalf, but we have no power to remove them from ourselves or to add to them. Um, it's, it's something that has been imparted to us. So this anointing is something that happens when the spirit takes residence in the Christian, that happens at conversion. And it gives us essentially the spiritual tools to, uh, to be taught by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, it uh, imparts us with gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this anointing is a very important asset to every single Christian. Just because they have the anointing, though, doesn't mean they are using it adequately. That's going to be something we talk about tonight. But John wants to be clear to all Christians that they all have this anointing. So whether or not they are using the tools that God has imparted to them, they are available to all Christians to an equal degree. <clears throat> In the next section, 22 to 25, we read last week, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. The oh, This is the promise which he himself made to us, which is eternal life. So our summary from last week's reading, Jesus and the Father are one. When Jesus came to the earth, he proclaimed the message of God, and he said, this is not my message, but God's who sent me. Uh, Janet, I don't see anyone coming in yet, so we'll, we'll keep waiting for her. Okay. Uh, so Jesus came to give the saving gospel, the message from God, that Jesus was the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah of God. 
This is the message that saves. The antichrists came and preached a different gospel saying that Jesus is not the Christ. So when they deny that Jesus is the Christ, they are denying the message that came from God. So when they deny the son, they are also denying the father. These teachers have the ability to deceive unbelievers so that an unbeliever will not see and recognize the gospel, but they also have the power to deceive believers who are not living spiritually. How do we live spiritually but resting in faith in the promises of God? So he is reassuring us that Jesus has given us the promise of eternal life. We don't have to doubt that. When we doubt the promises of God, we're out of communion with God. So we need to come back into communion with God and trust his promises that they are positional truths. Even if we don't feel like we are saved, that doesn't mean we are not saved. If we have believed in Jesus Christ, then we are saved. So we have to trust in this promise of eternal life. So by adding to the, to the conditions of salvation, the Antichrist can deceive the believer. So these deceptions can come from within the church. They can come from outside of the church. Anything that causes us to doubt the words of God by changing the words of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So John continues, and this is going to be a, a summary statement, but it's also how do we get this tool that we can use in our Christian life and our Christian walk to be about the Father's business um, using those spiritual tools that he's given to all Christians. So we read, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So one of the messages from the Holy Spirit was that we are to abide in Jesus Christ. And it is by abiding in Jesus Christ that we not only have the indwelling of the Spirit, which is true of all Christians, but we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's the, the anointing is the Holy Spirit coming into the Christian to live inside him and impart to him all the gifts of the Spirit. But the filling of the Spirit is when we are walking together with the Spirit. It's not us getting more of the Spirit, but the Spirit getting more of us. So that when we are in communion with the Spirit, when we are walking with him by resting in faith, um, by... by uh, living as if we are in the heavenlies with Christ, in our minds, in our spiritual bodies, uh, by resting in faith, that is when we have the filling of the Holy Spirit, and all of these tools come to life. So it's not granting us future promise of glory, but it's actually working in us here on earth, um, so that we can have the power to do good, and have the power to resist evil. Those are the, the two effects of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a bit of a look again at these works of the Holy Spirit. These three works are positional truths. That means they are true of all Christians at all times after they're saved. There's the regenerating and the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. And these are works of the Holy Spirit that pertain to Christ in us and us in Christ. So the regenerating puts Christ in us. We are reborn through the seed 
through the spiritual seed rather than the seed of Adam. So that rather than being born into death, we are born into life by the regeneration uh, in Jesus Christ. The baptizing of the Holy Spirit puts us together in the body of Christ. So this one is us in Christ. This is something that is true of all believers. Um, and it's not a physical baptizing. It is a spiritual baptizing. It means to immerse us into the body of Christ. So these are both true of all believers at all times. The indwelling of the Spirit is also true of all believers. This is when the Spirit comes into the, the new believer and equips him with the anointing, also, which, also the assurance, and this is the promise of future glory. It's also called a sealing, and it can be also called a pledge or an earnest. That's like a down payment that God has put the down payment on the Christian that later he will collect into glory. Uh, we see this, for example, in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in us will continue until the day of the Lord. That this continuation um, through all that time of our spiritual growth or our spiritual life, we have that constant promise that at the end of our life, we depart from this earth and we are with Christ in the heavenlies made perfect like he is. <clears throat> so this, of course, brings about the, the question of uh, saved and unsaved, and then the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. So there's one great division between all mankind, and that is whether or not they have trusted in Jesus Christ to save them, or whether or not they try to save themselves. Everyone who is unsaved is trying to save themselves. But the, the saved man, the saved woman, has put her trust or his trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. So through faith, we are saved. And it's a one-way road. We can become saved, but we cannot become unsaved after we are saved. Though once we are saved, we can live as if we are unsaved. And that is called the carnal believer. Because the unsaved man practices, even in his best ability, only the natural mind, the natural body. He has no, no ability to go beyond carnal thinking. Carnal just means doing things by the body and not by the spirit. He doesn't have the equipping of the spirit. Um, you can think of it as spiritual organs like ears and eyes and a nose and, and mouth. The unsaved man doesn't have the indwelling of the spirit. The indwelling of the spirit is what imparts those organs to us. So the unsaved man is incapable of understanding spiritual things. Even though he might understand soulish things through his soul, he doesn't have the spirit of Christ that helps him interpret spiritual things. So then once someone is saved, they have those tools from the Holy Spirit but they can still depend on their natural body for interpreting things or for understanding things so that when they try to walk by their own power and not rest in faith in Christ to do his work and his will through us, that is the carnal Christian. And its beginning is carnality and its end is sinfulness. And this has two paths that go off and they go off in the right and they go off in the left. One is called license and that means that they're going to try to say that sinful things are acceptable to God. 
um, so that when they are walking in their sins, they'll say, uh, well, this isn't actually a sin. Um, for example, homosexuality might be one of those things where Christians start to accept this kind of behavior in Christians. And this is license, and it has to do with interpreting spiritual things through the carnal mind and not through the spiritual mind of Christ. The other direction it can go is legalism, where you try to follow the law. You try to live by the law in your own power, not trusting in Christ, um, but trusting in your own ability to keep the law. On the other hand, there is the spiritual believer. So let's, oh, I've got that a little later. Let's take a look at some verses about this. So we read in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, the last verses there, 14 through 16, this shows us the difference between the unsaved man and the saved man. And Paul talks about them as the natural man and the spiritual man. So we read, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He can't understand them. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That means the spirit of God living in us appraises them, teaches us about them, helps us to understand them. The natural man doesn't have these tools to help him understand. He may think he does, but that's only the soul. It's not the spirit. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? So this is saying that the natural man has only his human functions. And human functions does have a soul aspect to it, where we can think uh, in a soulish way is how the how scripture puts it, but the Christian man who can think in a soulish way and trick himself into believing he is thinking in a spiritual way still has that ability to think spiritually, but it's not always engaged. So how do we engage that from the carnal mind to the spiritual mind once we are saved? Well, we all have these truths, the regeneration, the baptism, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the spiritual man has not a positional truth, but an experiential truth added to that. The added truth of the spiritual Christian is that he is filled with the Spirit. And how do we get this filling with the Spirit? It is to rest in faith in Jesus Christ, to abide in him, to trust his promises. And the Spirit also gives us some ways of maintaining that and also of restoring that if it's lost. You'll see this zigzag arrow that I have. This shows that a, a man who is saved can have a spiritual or have a carnal mind, but at times practice spiritual mind. Now, the man who's jumping back and forth is not going to have a strong trust in the Lord when he is thinking spiritually, whereas a mature Christian is going to be spending the majority, if not close to all of his time, in the spiritual realm of his experiential salvation. The carnal Christian is going to spend the majority of his time in carnality, trying to do the works of, uh, of Christ with the natural body and not with the power of Christ. Now, it's also possible that in some ways a Christian is carnal and in some ways he's spiritual, that perhaps we have some taproot sins or some sins that we just don't give over to God. 
those are going to be sins that we interpret carnally, even though in other ways. Uh, so let's, let's use some examples. Um, perhaps when dealing with money, we live carnally. We're thinking, this is on me to save. This is on me to, to handle all of my finances. I'm going to decide where and when I spend my money, and I'm going to make my money. Rather than trusting in Christ that he is going to provide at all times. So that sometimes we have to take a leap of faith. Other times uh, we might feel like we're a bit short, but we are never short of what God has, has done. And, and that's one reason why tithing comes up in a church. Because this money that we have earned, it's not money that we have earned, but money that God has provided to us. Uh, because if you think about it, even, even the breath and the physical life that we have has been given to us by God. But especially beyond that, the spiritual gifts that he has given us for perseverance or for living in this carnal world has given us that ability or that opportunity to work. Uh, and we, we do all things to the glory of God. Uh, and then maybe that same Christian who has trouble giving over his finances to God has no problem giving over his marriage to God, where he trusts God in all things in his marriage. Um, he, he trusts God to be the center of his relationship with his wife or her with her husband, um, so that someone who can live carnally, financially, um, doesn't have that problem living spiritually within his marriage. Um, so we can see that this isn't a clean line, like I've depicted it here in my circle, but it has all to do with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is kind of a deceiving word because it's not the Spirit coming into us more. The Spirit can't come into us any more than he already has. But it's us giving more of ourselves to the Spirit. When we yield to the Spirit, when we don't stand in his way and block him, this is when we are filled with the Spirit. Um, so you can think of it, giving him access to your marriage fills that marriage with the Spirit. But not giving him access to finances blocks the spirit from working in your finances. That's one example. Uh, so Paul, continuing in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, talks about the difference between the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. He writes, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to flesh, or as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. So we can see that he is talking about these fleshly men, these carnal men, as if they are infants, and that's uh, infants in Christ. And this is a uh, infants as in maturity. They are not mature in Christ, understanding that they trust him and depend on him. So he says, I give you milk, gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. So talking to these fellow Christians, he says, brethren, this is a term that Paul only uses for fellow Christians. He says they are not living to their full potential in Christ. They are living as if they are babies, as if they are children. Now, these Christians in Corinth were not new Christians. They had been Christians for at least five years at this point. Paul had already ministered to them five years before. But he's saying you're still drinking milk as if you're babies. Now, even five-year-old humans, in a natural sense, don't drink only milk when they're five years old, right? So this doesn't have to do with how long they've been a Christian. 
but how much they've yielded to Christ in their life. He says, you're, all you're getting is milk, and milk gives you necessary nutrition for living, uh, for surviving, but it's not enough for major growth. Uh, he says, basically, I want to give you spiritual steaks, not watery milk. Uh, your stomachs need to be able to tolerate a little deeper spirituality, and that's not going to be something you're able to do, but it's something the Spirit is able to do in you when you've yielded to him. So he writes, uh, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, you are, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? So he's saying to these Christians, these saved men, you're walking like unsaved men. You're using the same faculties, the same, the same natural organs to, to understand these spiritual things. So even though you have the tools, you're not using them. You're trying to do it all yourself rather than letting the spirit work through you. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Remember, Paul and Apollos, they're mere men as well. Uh, how is it better to live in the teachings of another man, even a godly man, than to live in the teachings of the Holy Spirit through the word of God? Now, God used Paul and God used Apollos to teach men what the spirit reveals to them. But uh, look at the, at the men from Berea in the book of Acts chapter 17, that when Paul came and taught them, they didn't just accept the teachings of Paul, but they checked with the word of God to see if the Holy Spirit had also re revealed the same truths. So we continue here in verse five. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So the power that Paul and Apollos came in was the power of the Lord. They were resting in God, they were resting in him, and that gave them the ability to share the word of God so that men might believe through their message. But it wasn't their power, it was God's. I planted Paul, Apollos, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And this growth, uh, we can think back to the image that, that Jesus gave us in John chapter 15 that we read a few times, that we are abiding in the vine. He says, God is the vine dresser. That means the farmer taking care of the vine. Jesus is the true vine. But what is the Holy Spirit? We are the branches hanging on to the vine or held on the vine. Uh, the Holy Spirit is often given to us in the picture of something like oil, or in this case, sap that runs through this root. Uh, so it comes from Christ into us and through us to, pro to produce fruit of the Spirit. So that the growth is not caused by the branches, but the growth happens to the branches by the work of the Spirit in and through it. So he writes, Now he who plants and he who waters is one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So this now says, okay, these are the works of the Spirit, but what are the works of you? Now, 
a branch can't do anything on the vine, but be there and be able to be used by the Spirit. He says we are God's fellow workers, but what is the work to be done? The work to be done is resting in him, that without him, we can't do any of these things. Does a building do the work that happens in it? No, think of an office building. If we are the building that God is working in, his workers are inside of us, and that is the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit working in us. We are essentially, spiritually, a static entity. That means something that God is working inside of, but we are not doing the work ourselves. It's by the power of Christ that we do these works through the Spirit. So let's look at this visually. We've got the regeneration and the baptism of the Spirit. Regeneration puts Christ in us. Baptism puts us in the body of Christ. The indwelling puts the Spirit in us, equipping us with all the tools. These are all positional truths. All the purple arrows give us are positional truths, things that cannot change about any believer. They can't be reduced. They can't be increased. But the filling of the Spirit is an experiential truth. That means something that we experience, uh, something that we can actually feel happening and working in us. But it's also something that can be reduced or increased. As we yield to Christ, the Holy Spirit gets more of us. And if we don't take ourselves out of the Spirit, if we don't walk in darkness, but we choose instead to walk in the light by resting in faith, then we are filled more with the Holy Spirit and have the power to do those good things uh, that he has required us to do. But we also have the power to resist evil, which he has required us to do. We in our fleshly bodies can't do this. That's why an unsaved person is incapable of saving themselves. So why as Christians do we act as if we are able to save ourselves now that we have the indwelling? It's still through faith. It's still through Christ that we grow. Uh, Lisa has a good comment here. Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, are they anti-Christ? Yes, they do come preaching a gospel that is different from the gospel of Christ. Um, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the full Christhood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Muslims do not believe in the full Christhood of Christ, but rather uh, they put their hope in Muhammad um, and say that he was the prophet of God and that God has no son. They've denied the son of God. Uh, they are coming with an antichrist message. So yes, and that's one of our uh, responsibilities here as Christians. Uh, in, as part of the church, we have three duties. We evangelize the lost world. We edify one another. And we exalt God. Now, sometimes that's glorified, but I like the three E's to evangelize, edify, and exalt. So one of these things, our mission to the unsaved world, though they are trying to give us their message, which is anti-Christ, we give them the message of Christ. Uh, and again, even that, if we don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit, if we're not resting in those promises, we're going to be yielding to our own doubts rather than trusting uh, the promises of God that we have eternal life in him. All right, just making sure we have time. Yes, we do. Okay, so what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? How do we get it? How do we keep it? And how do we get it back if we've lost it? So the filling, again, is the only ministry of the Holy Spirit which can change in the believer. 
All others are permanent gifts of the Spirit, but the filling is something that needs constant renewal. And we renew it by resting in the vine, by staying in the vine. Uh, you can think of it again as the image of the vine with the sap flowing through it, that as long as the branch is still on the vine, that sap is going to be renewed through it. So our receiving of it, uh, the Spirit comes uh, when we are resting in the promises of Jesus Christ, trusting in him, that is when we are filled with the Spirit. This is the power to do good and the power to resist evil. Without the sap in the vine, there's no power, there's no life in the, in the vine, in the branches. Uh, but this filling we receive through faith, and it puts the believer in a right relationship with Christ. So we see that what's necessary for the filling is to be in a right relationship. Our right relationship with Christ is to have faith in him. If we do not have faith in him, if our faith is not continuing, we don't lose our salvation because that's a work of Christ. But we do lose our filling. We are not filled with the spirit when we are denying the spirit access to us. And its access to us comes through that faculty of faith. So we need to maintain that faith relationship with Christ. And that is how the spirit can move in and through us. It says that God works and wills in us so that he can bring our will into conformity with him and also uh, give us the power to do those works. So how do we maintain it? It's maintained through faith. And the spirit gives us three different means of, of maintaining this faith relationship. Sorry, the phone is going off over here. <laughs> One second. Okay, I think it's done. All right, so what are these prerequisites or this means of maintaining? Now, these aren't necessarily ways of restoration, but these can be used in order to keep us in the vine. Now, as Christians, we still live in the natural body. That's why we can have carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. Whereas in the new kingdom that Jesus Christ comes to set up, we won't have a natural body. So we will be living at all times spiritually because we will only have those organs of the spirit given to us in our new glorified body. But here, when we have the wrestle of the flesh between the natural man that's living in us and the spiritual man that's living in us, we need to guard against that natural man who is inclined to death, inclined to want to do things on its own for its own salvation. We need to live spiritually with the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it says two negative things to keep us in the maintenance of our filling of the Holy Spirit and one positive thing. So the two negatives are grieve not the Spirit and quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. This command comes to us that when we are uh, essentially to grieve the Spirit is to to commit sins that are known. So if I know something is sinful, the Holy Spirit is not going to be silent in me beforehand, during, or after these sins. But if we continue in these sins, the voice of the Holy Spirit in us is going to be diminished. We won't be able to hear it. It's like every time we sin, we're plugging our ears to the Holy Spirit. So this is saying we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. 
that when he is convicting us of sin, uh, we need to not grieve him by continuing in those sins, but rather yield to him. And again, this is going to be power that he gives us to yield. But when he is informing us through conscience, through, uh, through our prayer, through reading in the scripture that something we are doing is sinful, we need to actually change our thinking about that, that we can't change our actions through our own power, uh, but we are able to think differently about the things that the Spirit is teaching us. When he teaches us that, for example, in, in the book of Corinthians, that sexual practices that are not in a relationship with marriage, that aren't in a healthy relationship, being Christ-centered, that these are sinful. If we try to rationalize those and say that, well, that's not what the Bible means, and we try to interpret it through different carnal ways, this is going to grieve the Holy Spirit, that we are going to be pursuing our own sinfulness rather than pursuing the things of the Spirit and wanting to understand the mind of Christ. So it says, do not grieve the Spirit. Don't go willingly into sin. It also says, don't quench the Spirit. To quench is to, to satisfy, but not in a good way. This is to, uh, you can think of thirst. Uh, you can quench your thirst. That means your thirst is telling you, I need to drink something. Now, naturally, quench that with, with water, right? We give the thirst what it is desiring. Now, when we have spiritual thirst, we can quench it with good water by resting in faith in Christ, the water of Christ. But we can also quench it by essentially tricking it into thinking it's getting something. Now, we're not going to trick the spirit, but we are going to trick our own bodies and our own consciousness into thinking we have satisfied the spirit. And we can do this by diminishing the voice of the spirit in us, by ignoring it, uh, so that that taste goes away. You can think like uh, drinking soda pop. It's not actually going to satisfy that thirst in you. In fact, it's going to make you thirstier. But for a while, you're going to feel as if you were quenched. Uh, this can also be following works of the law, going out and doing things on your own power to feel like you're serving God. Um, but if you're not doing these while resting in faith, while well, um, while having the spirit working through you through this filling, then that is going to be a quenching of the spirit that rather than yielding to it and, and walking in it, you're instead um, giving it fake spirituality. So the last uh, means of maintaining this is a positive command and it says walk in the spirit. This is what John, uh, this is the same analogy that John uses, but he instead says walk in the light. Remember, the light is the righteousness of God, uh, and the Spirit is that righteousness in us, Christ in us. Um, so we want to walk in the Spirit by walking in the light. When God reveals to us his will, when he reveals to us uh, the, the sides of the pathway that we shouldn't be walking on either side of, but walking in the path, uh, we need to be faithful to do that. And now this isn't, again, going to be a work that we do. We are not doing the work of getting ourselves on this path, but we are making sure that we don't jump off of the path. He's going to keep us on it as long as we don't jump off. You can think of this as like a road trip. When you're driving in your car down the road, you're not actually doing much work to keep yourself on that road. That's all God. But what you're not doing is purposefully spinning the wheel to take yourself off the road. So that's what walking in the spirit is. It's 
resting, it's trusting, it's yielding, and not derailing the train. It's not jumping off of the road. So the filling of the Spirit can happen when these three are satisfied, when we are not uh, purposefully walking into sin and saying that it's not sin, when we're not doing fake spiritual things to try to satisfy the Spirit's uh, grieving in us, and when we are walking in his revealed path. And the only way to know where his path is, is to be walking in it. Uh, if you're walking away from the light, you're not going to see that light in front of you. But when you are walking in the Spirit, God reveals his will to you. And we walk in the Spirit, again, through resting in faith. And a very active way of resting in our faith is to be in prayer together with him um, in the house of God, as well being in our scriptures, be reading the word of God, because the word of God is living. We, we can hear his will through reading the scriptures, through meditating on it, through prayer. And these are our spiritual assets of continuing in the filling of the Holy Spirit. But what happens if we have grieved the Spirit, if we have quenched the Spirit, if we're not walking with the Spirit? We have only one means of restoring that proper relationship. We can't dismiss our sin. We can't make excuses for it. But we have to agree with God that it is sinfulness. We have to agree with God that we have walked out of communion with him. So the only means of restoration is one that we've already seen in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That when God convicts us that you are not in fellowship with me, when you feel that grief within you, that you have been walking away from Jesus Christ, the way of restoring that relationship is to say to God, and this is a private confession, not one you give to a priest, but Jesus Christ, your high priest, you pray to him and say, yes, I have walked away from your will. I have gone in my own will. Uh, please restore me into communion with you. Because we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we have the power to live as Christ even on this earth while we still have these natural bodies. So I mentioned uh, we have the power to do good through the filling of the Holy Spirit and the power to resist evil. If you remember uh, back a couple verses just before this, uh, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, we were told to resist the world. This is something that we cannot do on our own, but we have to depend on the filling of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we have no power to resist the world. The three means that the world has of tempting us is the lust of the flesh, to do things contrary to the will of God, the lust of the eyes, to have things contrary to God, and the pride of life, to be, to be something contrary to the will of God. So to do something, to have something, or to be something that God has not willed is to be, uh, is to be in a sinful state. And those are the kind of things that we need to confess. But we can also uh, keep ourselves away from that by resting in the spirit, resting in faith. The remedy that Paul gives us to this temptations of the world is to flee from it. And how do we flee from the world? 
we live in our spiritual position with Christ in the heavenlies. And we do that through resting in the spirit so that we are not actually doing the running. We are doing the resting and the Holy Spirit is doing the running in us. Uh, we also have the temptations of the flesh, the sins of the flesh. Now, this isn't just sexual sins. It might be tempting to think of these as, oh, that's just sexual sins, but uh, my, my exercise routine. Uh, now, this has, again, two pathways. You can overdo it and you can underdo it. Not maintaining your body, which Jesus Christ has given you, but treating it poorly, feeding it bad food. Um, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we want to be maintaining this because we have work to do here for Christ on this earth. But we also don't want to be overdoing it, focusing so much on our physical bodies that we don't take any care in our spiritual bodies. These are all uh, sins of the flesh, to think more of the flesh and a carnal body than to be thinking of the spiritual body, uh, to be thinking of our spiritual houses that we're building in heaven. Uh, so the remedy to this is to deny the flesh, to not to give in to the physical fleshly desires, but to instead do all things in moderation and, and to, to seek the will of God for how we ought to be living in our physical bodies. The other thing that we have against us is the devil. Uh, and I mean, this is a pretty natural one. In fact, Sometimes we forget that the world is against us. We forget that the flesh is against us and we think only of the devil. Whenever we say something like, oh, the devil made me do it, we completely forget that no, it was probably our flesh that made us do that. Um, our flesh is still the natural body. Our flesh is still dying, even though we have the spirit of Christ alive in us. Our natural body is destined for death. So it's still going to be against us and we have to at times deny the flesh but we do have to deny the devil as well. He is the ruler of this world. In fact, the devil is the ruler of the flesh and the ruler of the world. We have broken free from the chains of the devil by instead being alive to Christ through faith. But the devil still has power to influence us over this world. Our means of avoiding this is to resist the devil. So notice these three commands, to flee, to deny, and to resist. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are all passive. It's not saying to go and do something, but it's saying instead to not do something. So we are not going to go after the world, not go after the flesh, not go after the devil. But the only way to not go after those is to instead go after Christ, to instead go after the Spirit, by resting in their promises, by resting in faith, and by yielding to the will of God as it's revealed through the Spirit in prayer and in our scripture readings. So here, I think this is our last bit here, uh, abiding in the vine. Well, Lisa writes here, there are far too many churches which believe they are the only one and only true church, and all others are apostates. That's true. And if you are not baptized in their church, then you are lost and headed to hell. I've encountered that as well a lot. However, this begs the question, isn't that only creating an equation for salvation? Yes, um, physical baptism as well is a tricky one because as Christians, we're called to do that, um, but we're not called to do that in order to be saved. That is a recognition that we are already saved through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
So it's just like circumcision, uh, where in Galatians 5, he says, what good is circumcision to you? Um, if you're going to be circumcised and saved through that, then you have to keep the rest of the law too. You can't just keep this one piece of the law and say, now I'm saved. But none of the law will save you. All of Christ will save you. So this baptism being put into the body of Christ by the Spirit, not by water, is what saves. So uh, probably these churches telling Christians, probably, uh, telling them these things is that antichrist spirit denying that Christ is enough to save and saying that some work of the flesh is going to save you instead. So we want to avoid that kind of teaching. Um, we don't want to teach it ourselves, nor do we want to believe it when it's taught to us. But rather, we have to check all things through the word of God. So be like the Bereans and be day and night in the word of God, checking to see if the teaching that we are hearing is actually of God. Uh, so here's our last little image here. We've talked about the vine. We're going to read the passage that Jesus talks about it. So we read, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear fruit, more fruit. So taking away a branch that is not functioning in the body, this does not mean removing it from salvation. It's still a branch, whether or not it's on the vine or not. The unbeliever, on the other hand, is not a branch at all. He has not ever been grafted onto Christ. Uh, but being taken away or being pruned, now the pruning is clipping of these branches so that they might produce more fruit. So we see that both of these have to do with cutting away cutting away the things of the flesh, cutting away the world, cutting away the devil. Uh, these are things that the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in us and that God is going to be doing to us so that we might be able to bear more fruit. The things of the flesh are cut away. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We are already cleansed by Christ. Abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. We can't grow fruit. We are the branches, but the fruit can grow through us by means of the Holy Spirit as we rest in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. Now, again, this is not talking about salvation. This is about our sanctification. And this, is, this verse is constantly used and abused uh, to try to tell believers that if they are not doing things for Christ, then they are going to lose their salvation. And this is absolutely not true. That goes against every teaching of the scripture about our eternal security. But instead, this is saying that one who constantly lives in a carnal mind is going to be disciplined to be then choosing instead a spiritual life. And this is not a negative disciplining. This is a positive disciplining towards spirituality. But if spirituality does not happen, if this believer continues to live in carnality, it is going to be much better for him to be together with Christ in the heavenlies. 
Now again, remember, this gives us the far extreme. It does not say that every Christian who is not living in Christ, who is living a fleshly life, is going to be killed. That's not what this is saying. But instead, it's giving us that extreme end of it that's saying, even if he is killed, wouldn't that be better for him to live together with Christ than to be profaning his body and profaning his mind here on earth? Where if he can't rein in and have trust and believe in Christ, uh, he's going to have a miserable life here because he has first made himself the enemy of the world by being united together with Christ. So now the entire world is against him, but then he's not living in the faculties of the spirit either. Uh, that to me is worse than blissful ignorance, that to have, to have the baptism, to have the regeneration, to have that indwelling, but to still be so empty by this world. Uh, again, it talks about the branches as drying up when there's no sap in the branch, it just snaps. Uh, think of a branch on the ground that you find you step on it and it breaks. But a branch on the vine, when you try to twist it and bend it and pull it apart, it's, it's too resistant to that breaking because the Holy Spirit is working in it. So he continues a little later in this passage, and he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So he's giving us some commandments here, but we have to not look at this set of verses alone. But we look at this set of verses based on what we just looked at in verses 1 through 6. That when we are resting in the vine, it's not us bearing the fruit, but the Spirit bearing the fruit through us. So that when we are keeping his commandments, we are not keeping them ourselves, but the Holy Spirit through us. That when that happens, we are abiding in his love. When we are very, bearing much fruit, that's not us doing this. That's the spirit through us. So he says, this is the outward physical, uh, uh, physical proof that the spirit is working through us. It's not our proof of salvation. It's our proof of communion. That when we are in communion with Christ, when we are disciples of Christ, by resting in him, this is what the result is that our joy is made full. Uh, jumping ahead then and finishing out this passage, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Same thing that John told us in the epistle here. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another, that when we are resting together in Christ, we don't have the spirit of slavehood 
but rather the spirit of friendship with Christ, that he doesn't want us to be slaves uh, doing the actions and doing the commands and doing the works, but instead have that friendship relationship with him, uh, that it's not commands from a master down to a slave, but rather friends loving one another, that we are resting in Christ, and Christ is in us, in our regeneration, and also in the filling, the power of the Holy Spirit is not apart from the power of Christ. All right, uh, we're at time, so why don't I save these last two verses, and we'll do those as part of our next one. Uh, so, actually, let me check. Yeah, because we've got some more verses here. All right, so let's close in prayer, and then we'll finish these out next week. All right? Yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have not only provided us the, the tools, but you've also provided the power to live spiritually on this earth, that you've not left us uh, with only the, the natural body, but that you've given us the spiritual body as well, that when we are living within you, abiding in you, walking in the spirit, walking spiritually, uh, that we have the light of the Holy Spirit and we can live in the mind of Christ. So, Lord, we thank you that you have not only given us the ability, but given us the power to act as well, to resist evil and to do good. Lord, we pray that you fill each one of us. Uh, we also want to pray a prayer of confession that if we have grieved the spirit or quenched the spirit, uh, that you would restore us into fellowship uh, so that we might be filled by the Holy Spirit and continue your work here on earth because we know that we have no power to be working for you, but you through us do the work of God. Lord, we, we pray for Nita and her COVID vaccine. We pray for health and safety. We pray for Lisa and her daughter. Uh, and also uh, we pray for Janet as well. Lord, we pray all these things in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen.